That was very good. Thank you so much to our care group leaders. My heart is uh, filled. I'm sure Bob feels the same way. So much uh, gratitude in our hearts for these uh, dear men and women who faithfully serve all of you. Uh, these are these men and women are gifts to our church. They are gifts to you. People who've been touched by God's grace and understand God's love for them. And they so love you. We have come together many times praying for you and uh, often weeping, crying on, be- on your behalf. So it's a joy to hear of them sing of Christ's righteousness and how he is our hope and gospel will carry us home. Thanks as well to, uh, well, thank you for the praise team. What wonderful uh, ministry they've granted to us this morning. Uh, I can't wait. If God allows us to have a building, that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to a building gym, but also, more importantly, the main service where we can have a, one service and have our praise team minister to us in this way. Thank you so much, uh, our praise team and the um, choir members, for ministering to us. And then again, Shane and uh, Rachel. Where's Rachel? Okay. Rachel, there you are. Okay, thank you. Shane and Rachel. I, Shane, I first met you 93 that back then. Man, like 18 years ago. And uh, I remember the first time I talked with him. We're hanging out in my apartment, and we're kind of fellowshipping. And I said, he was telling me how much he loves basketball. So we went out to shoot hoops while we're talking. And we shot around for 30 minutes. And he didn't make a single basket. <laughs> I promise. For 30, uh, you hit the rim, but you didn't make a single basket. I was thinking, I remember like being worried for him. Like, how's he ever going to get married? <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I don't know why, but. But look at him now. I mean, just <laughs> married and he's got a son. And more importantly, I mean. Growing in, growing in grace. I mean, I remember, yeah, thank you, Shane. Just praise God for God's work in your life. And uh, I heard of uh, how God's been growing you a few months ago, and I was rejoicing. And Rachel as well. I remember uh, you're kind of stalking me at a retreat, like two years ago at Lighthouse Bible Church, right? Uh, I mean, everywhere I turned, she was just like in the corner asking me questions, like bombarding me with questions. And uh, I knew right there, like, a woman after God's own heart, and man, she brought her whole, her whole family out to Cornerstone, and it's been a joy uh, just, just to see you and your parents and your sisters grow in Christ as well. Well, what a joy this day, and uh, t- today um, we were, I was going to study this next passage in Galatians 2, but verses uh, 17 through 19 is very polemical in nature very technical and detailed and argumentative. And I thought, not a real exact kind of tone you want to set on your anniversary service. So instead of Galatians 2, 17 through 19, I'm going to take a step back and uh, open our and study uh, he, the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, um, It's so, the Word of God is so precious to us, and as a church, for us to read read God's Word together is uh, it's a privilege. So though, though our bulk of our study will be the first three verses of chapter 12, really the context is verse 11. It's inescapable. So 
what I want to do is I'm going to, I want to read this whole chapter together, starting with verse 1, and then go all the way to verse 3 of chapter 12. And if I have to suffer in this way, I want you to suffer with me. So let's all stand together. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. After First and Second Timothy, before the book of James, latter part of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the house in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are not seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By Abraham, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We'll stop there. Please be seated. This letter was written by an anonymous preacher, in the early church. He was writing to Jewish Christians who were being persecuted, harassed, threatened, harmed in many ways, even having their possessions taken away. They had been uh, unsynagogued, removed, cast out from their family, from their community. They were being harassed at every turn. Many of these Jewish Christians remained faithful to Christ. But some were shrinking back, were compromising, were going back to Judaism. Either because of the persecution from without, also from their sinfulness, their legalism, their religionness within, they were compromising or were being tempted to compromise and go back to the Old Testament law uh, for their justification. They were uh, being tempted to quit on Christ. So this author of Hebrews is writing to them, and his appeal is, don't give up. 
don't quit. Persevere. Endure. Trust in Christ. And the theme of this book is very simple. Jesus is superior. Whatever is tempting you to go back to, Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. In chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, the writer talks about the prophets of the Old Testament. And the writer says, Jesus is greater because Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the divine radiance of the being of God. He is the exact representation of his being. All the way to chapter 2, verse 18, talks about angels and how Christ is greater than the angels because angels worship Jesus Christ. Chapter 3 and chapter 4 talks about Moses and his laws. And the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is superior because Jesus is the end of the law. He fulfilled the law. The law is a tutor leading people to Christ. The law is a shadow, but Jesus is the reality. Don't go back to the shadow. All the way to chapter 7, verse 28, talks about the priesthood. The priesthood of Aaron, the high priesthood, also Melchizedek, how Christ is a better priest. How these priests, they were not able to empathize with your weaknesses because they themselves were sinners. But Christ is not only perfect, he is a completely righteous priest. He not only sacrificed blood animals and and blood of goats and, and, and sheep, but he sacrificed himself. And as he is sacrificing himself, he's able to empathize with all our weaknesses because he was tempted just like us. So he is better than the priesthood. Chapter 9 talks about the sacrifices. How these sacrifices were all signs pointing to that one future sacrifice of Jesus. How the blood of animals were not able to remove sin, atone for sin completely. Only Christ can do that. So based upon that, the writer calls upon these Jewish Christians to not to go back to the law, but to press on to Jesus. And what is this one thing that unlocks this truth? Makes it from, go from the head to the heart. Makes it a reality. These are truths that we know, but there is this element that sparks this truth and causes to explode in our souls And it makes us taste and know that God is good. And that is chapter 11. It is faith. It is faith that that unlocks, unleashes, releases this truth into each and every believer. It is faith in Christ, this superior one, that not only grants us salvation, but sustains us as believers until the return of Christ. Chapter 11 is a list of these men and women uh, who are in the hall of fame of faith. Chapter 12, verse 1, calls them, refers to them as a cloud of witnesses. There are so many. The number is so great that they seem to be like a cloud in the sky. There are masses of people looming large. And these are all Martyrs, the Greek word martyrho, 
they are giving testimony concerning the promises of God. These are men and women of faith. As we read together, they are familiar to all of us. Their names are familiar. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Rahab, and many others. They all embodied verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. These are men and women who had assurance of the scriptures, assurance of Christ's faithfulness. They had conviction in the gospel message of Christ. They not only had faith, but they lived by faith. Faith is clearly one of the most important concepts in the whole New Testament. It is a requirement for salvation. It is the call of God to trust Him. It is the call of the gospel message. It is what separates Christians from this world. We live by faith and not by sight. Faith means that we repent. We renounce, we abandon all our own resources, our trust in our own flesh, our striving after righteousness through obedience. We renounce these things and then we cling to Jesus and our hope is in him, not in ourselves. It is unreservedly casting ourselves at the mercy of God. Faith means laying hold of the promises of God and Christ, trusting completely in the finished work of Jesus for our salvation. And also, as Shane said and Rachel said, in the power for our sanctification. That formula, that phrase, by faith, occurs 23 times in chapter 11 of Hebrews. In, the, in all the other epistles of the New Testament, it occurs 29 times. In this chapter alone, we find it 23 times. That's the central description of these men and women. These are um, these masses of Old Testament saints, and they are giving their testimony. They are declaring truths of what they believed and what they have experienced through faith. What is their testimony? They're giving to us a fourfold testimony. Four aspects of their testimony. First, they're declaring by their lives that faith works. That faith, faith in Christ, faith in God saves, indeed sanctifies, indeed transforms. Faith in Jesus is indeed superior. These men and women are calling us. They call the New Testament believers who are Jews, and they're calling believers throughout history to look to Jesus, to consider Christ, to look ahead and not look to the past. Do not hope in the law. Do not hope in the sacrifices. Do not hope in the temple. Do not look in the hope in the priesthood. Do not hope in the prophets of old or angels of old. Look forward to Jesus Christ. They surround us and their lives are an encouragement to us. These people, eminently holy, pious, tested, approved. We are surrounded by them and they are not looking at us. We are looking at them. 
And we hear their voices telling us to trust in Christ. They're encouraging us that the same God that was with them is with each and every one of us through Christ. That by the same faith, same Holy Spirit, same Lord, same Savior, the power that was active in them is active in us through faith. So he's calling us to keep believing because faith works. The words by faith, if you go to chapter 11, is always accompanied by a verb. Faith is not static. It is not, doesn't produce a passive life. It produces a life that is, um, that is activated to obey God. There is this rest in the heart, but in their lives, it produces fruit of obedience. It is always accompanied by a verb. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered to God. Verse 7, by faith, Noah constructed an ark. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed and he went out. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received the power of God. I love verse 24, by faith, Moses refused to be called Pharaoh's son. I call the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's like being adopted by Donald Trump, right? Being adopted by Mark Zuckerberg, right? And he's saying, no, I refuse this. Why? Verse 25, he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God and to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin because he considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. So these these men and women, Hall of Fame of Faith, tell us, that faith produces obedience. That's a mark of true faith. James 1 and James 2 says, you say you have a faith and have no deeds. That is spurious faith. That is not true faith. That doesn't mean the gospel is effective. That does not mean that Christ does not complete the work on the cross. That does not mean God is not faithful. What it means is, if you have a faith that that does not produce works, then what you question is not the gospel. The, what you question is your faith. It is a non-faith. It is a, a demonic faith for even demons believe God and they shudder. These men and women declare faith works. Faith is powerful. Faith is active. Faith produces obedience. Secondly, they tell, they tell us true faith means suffering. Paul told Timothy this in 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. 1 Thessalonians 3.3 Let no one be moved by these afflictions. You yourselves know that we were destined for this. Acts 14.21-22 When Paul and Barnabas went through in their second missionary journey, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and they told them that it is through many tribulations they will enter the kingdom of God. So to live for Christ, to trust in him, means that you will suffer in this world. Uh, Abel was murdered. Noah was uh, ostracized and mocked. Abraham he had to leave his family, his home, his country, his people. 
Abraham and Sarah had to offer up Isaac and sacrifice him to God. Moses was mistreated with God's people rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then we read this together, Hebrews 11, 32, 38, how there are so many more men and women to talk about who were persecuted, who suffered greatly, and who even gave their lives because of their faith. True faith results in suffering. Third mark of true faith is it perseveres. Faith endures. That's why we can rest in our faith. We don't have to be so restless. Like There is a sense where as soon as we become Christians, we, we want to do something because we feel like if we don't act upon this, faith will go away. We feel like once we're convicted by, uh, by Scripture, we need to act on it quickly, immediately, or this feeling will go away and we'll go back to complacency. We'll lose it. That is not true. True faith perseveres. True faith endures. A mark of a true faith is uh, they understand the Christian race is a long race. And they endure to the end. And it is not about perfection. Right? It's not about these men and women obeyed perfectly. They were far from perfect. We know about Noah and uh, how he got drunk after the flood and just a immoral things he did afterwards. We know about Abraham, how he was a habitual liar. We know about Sarah. I mean, Sarah, she laughed at God. Moses misrepresented God, abused his authority. Rahab was a prostitute. But they they were uh, preserved by faith. That may be a better way to put it. True faith preserves you, sustains you. God holds you by his righteous hand. Though youth grow weak, young men will grow weary. Those who put themselves on wings of eagles, meaning they trust in God, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. God will strengthen them and sustain them through the whole course of their lives because they simply trust in God, trust in Christ. The fourth mark of true faith is that men and women who believe in Christ, believe in God, they, they, they obey, they suffer, and they endure with joy. There is this um, abiding sense of joy as they suffer as Christians. And we go to the, the, the hero of faith, right? There's a hall of fame and there is like the the, the king, the ruler, the one who embodied this example like no one else, and that's Jesus. You go to Hebrews 12:2, and we see looking to Jesus, the found, founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Right? That doesn't make sense. I mean, he experienced the horror of the cross. I mean, the physical torture and pain, more than that, the spiritual agony of being separated, abandoned by the Father. And yet, as he was going to the cross, joy was set before him. Paul, in his letter in St. Corinthians, talking about his many sufferings and persecutions and weaknesses, he 
said of, he told them that he was overflowing with joy. In chapter 6, verse uh, 10, he said, I am sorrowful. I am full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. There is a mark. This is true of all believers currently trusting in Christ. Whatever you're going through, whatever heartaches, disappointments, sorrow, trials you're going through, there is joy in your heart because of faith. It's a joy the Spirit gives. It is not something that you're doing out of uh, extrinsic motivations. You're not doing it out of um, some exterior benefits you get out of obedience. You're not doing it because you don't want the repercussions of disobedience. If that is your motivation, then the benefits, it's an expression of your self-centeredness. If it's out of fear you're not disobeying, then there is all this depression or anxiety and fear welling in your heart. No, what is, what's the, re- the motivation is because there's joy in Christ that, that, that God gives to those who believe. It's like peace that passes all understanding. It is a joy that is uns- unspeakable, that cannot be described. Uh, an illustration that I could come, I come up with is uh, when I was in elementary school, I don't know why, but my mom chose you know, my, my sister to play piano, and she chose this instrument called the cello for me, right? So nothing against the cello, but it's not a very cool-looking instrument. You can't look very, like, masculine sitting in that position with a cello and you're, you know, holding that cello. And it is the heaviest instrument I have to carry back and forth to my lessons. And uh, I remember she was so adamant on me being some master celloist that she, had, she mandated that I practice every day and that I would record me practicing so that she would keep me accountable. Man, I hated that cello, right? I wanted to burn it and use it for firewood or something. <laughs> I really did. One of the first things I did in high school is I, I pawned that cello and bought a guitar, right? <laughs> My mom was like, where am the cello? I think it's here somewhere. I, um, my motivation for playing that cello was if I didn't play, I, my mom and my dad would get angry. Now in high school, one of my, still to a lesser degree now, but in high school and college, my great love was basketball. Right? And nobody had to force me to practice basketball, force me to play. It was my joy. Right? It was my joy. It was my delight. I did it because I wanted to. Now, same thing with the law. If I do it out of fear, right, then that's not honoring to, to God. But if I do it because I enjoy it on the flesh, that's still me being self-centered. This is a spiritual joy. It's not happiness. Right? We don't go to church because it makes us happy. We don't read the Bible because it makes us happy or better people. We don't follow Christ because it's good for our families. No, it's suffering, right? It's difficult. It's humiliating. But as we do so, God gives us joy by faith through the Holy Spirit. And that is a scene in every believer who's trusting in Christ. Though their life is filled with uh, trials, there is this theme of joy in their lives, in their sharings, in their countenance, in their attitude, 
Uh, people who are doing it out of fear or out of self-centeredness, you will see a lot of either pride or anger, discontentment, um, depression, or fear, or cynicism, like a critical spirit, because their motivation is not faith. Their motivation is these external things. These are the four things these men and women declare to us, right? Calling us to continue to trust in Christ. And it's not about our church. It's not about how old we are, how long we've been here at Cornerstone. For every single believer, the call is to believe in Christ. He is far greater than anything the law offers to us. True faith works. True faith is suffering. True faith endures. And true faith has this element of joy. And then chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, here we find the four um, exhortations of the writer of Hebrews. Four encouragements, four imperatives. He is calling us, as we are trusting in Christ, let us do these four things First of all is let us lay aside every weight. Let us cast off, the word is oncon, every burden, every encumbrance, everything that weighs us down, slows us down in this race of faith. Now, it's not a physical race. It's a metaphor here, right? Uh, in the Olympics in the 70s, a Russian marathoner, he held the world record for a marathon. And then afterwards, he lost three races in a row. And uh, people were asking him, how come you're losing these races? You're the fastest runner in the world. And he said, "Um, I'm out of shape. I'm overweight by three pounds. If some of us were overweight by three pounds, we would rejoice. (laughs) We would celebrate. But for him, three pounds is the difference between winning and losing. Now, that's a physical illustration for a spiritual reality. It's not physical things we are to cast aside but it's physical things that weigh us down spiritually, right? So these things aren't wrong in of themselves. There's freedom as Christians, absolute freedom. Each and every one of us, we stand before God. I can't judge you. You can't judge me. I might be doing something and it doesn't hinder me spiritually. For me, this gray area, I'm able to engage in this And it's not something that slows me down, weighs me down in my run, my race of faith. But for you, it could be completely opposite. This thing that is in your life, it is coming between you and God and trusting Him. Because you are, when you suffer, you know, someone said, you know, true religion is what you do with your solitude. Right? Your faith is seen not on Sunday mornings. It's not on Wednesday nights or Thursday nights in care group. It's when you have free time and you're, you're under pressure, you have stress, you have anxiety. And what do you run to as your coping mechanism? That is your faith. And that is different for every single one of us. So for me, listening to music might be uh, something I do just for, just for my pleasure. Nothing spiritually, spiritual element to that. But for you, that might be where you go to uh, find peace in your heart. That's your functional savior. 
That's your comfort and that's your refuge. That is what you depend on to get you through the day. I mean, it could be music, it could be food, it could be shopping, it could be friends, it could be family, it could be money. It it could be a thousand and one things. It's different for each and every one of us. The writer of Hebrews says, as you're running this race of faith, these are permissible things. Cast it away. Lay it aside so that you might fully trust in Jesus, who is our hope, who is our true comforter. He's the only one who will never deny us, disappoint us, let us down. These idols will fail us. These idols do not love us. They are temporary. They're trying to use us and harm us. Christ is the only one who demonstrated his love for us. He is the only one worthy of our faith. Let these encumbrances go so that you might trust in Jesus alone. Not only laying aside all these encumbrances, lay aside also that sin which clings so closely. There is this sin that entangles us. That is in the DNA of every single Christian. And what is this sin? You go back to Hebrews 3.12. The sin here is singular. Right? So again, that weight could be many things. This is talking about one thing. A, a particular sin that entangles us and trips us up as we seek to trust in God. And Hebrews 3.12 talks about says this, take care, brothers, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's the sin of unbelief. It is evil. It leads us away from God. Verse 13 Exhort one another every day, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of this sin. Sin of unbelief is deceitful. It hides under the radar of righteousness. Hides under the radar of obedience, of external faithfulness. We think we are running the race because outwardly we're performing righteous deeds. And yet in that environment, what flourishes is unbelief. You're not trusting in Christ. You're doing all these external things with wrong motivations. This is evil. It hardens hearts. And it is the uh, antithesis of genuine faith. The writer of Hebrews, that's the context here. These Jewish Christians are tempted to go back to Moses. They're tempted to go back to the temple and offer sacrifices that they'd be accepted by God. They're tempted to go back to the traditions, the rituals of the Old Testament, so that they would, they would know God's love. Right? And, that's, and they were saying that's true faith. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, that is not faith. That is unbelief. That is sin. That is evil. Do not turn back and get entangled at, by this. Persevere onward to Jesus. He is greater and likewise with us. Again, going back to last week's sermon, no one is justified by the law. 
And chapter 3 of Galatians is all about you who began the spirit. Are you trying to perfect it by the flesh? Do not go back to the law to be righteous, accepted before God. Likewise with us. Do not be deceived. The sin of unbelief. Where externally you seek to be righteous before God and others. But in your heart you're not trusting in Christ. Third exhortation is, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And each one of us, again, is um, a race of faith. The challenge is not obedience. The challenge is not righteousness. You know, as Shane was talking about, challenge is not Bible reading and praying every day, and going to your care group. The race that is set before, what, Paul, what the writer is talking about is this race of faith. Right? That's the race. That's what is difficult. Right? I mean, compared to trusting God, doing these religious things, it's easy. You can force yourself to read the Bible. Force yourself to pray. Force yourself to serve and do ministry. The hard part is unbelief. To quit, to give up, to resign and say, you know what? This thing called faith works for other people. It doesn't work for me. God loves, you know, that person over there, man, she's growing in faith. And that person over there is growing in grace, but not for me. The gospel just doesn't work. Jesus doesn't love me as much. He loved me just to save me, and now he's not my friend. <laughs> you know, look at my life. He's not, he's not kind to me. And I'll be with him in heaven, and I'll sit in the back row. So until then, I'll just grind my teeth and, and just bear through it. No, that's giving up on faith. Right? That's not enduring in your faith. Paul wrote about um, Abraham in Romans 4, 19 through 22. He was 99 years old, and Sarah was 99 years old. Both of them were thought they were way past childbearing age. And I think a normal person would have given up and said, well, you know, I can't trust in Christ. I, this, is, this is too much. And they would be so um, focused on their circumstances, on their reality, that they would not really trust in Christ. But Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Likewise, the writer of Hebrews calls you to endure in your faith. Wait upon the Lord. You feel like God is not working in your life. God is not near. God is not answering your prayers. That is not a reason to give up on your faith. That is a reason to wait upon the Lord. 
and trust that he loves you and he is good and he will answer and he will do it because God who promised is faithful. How do you know he is faithful? Because he gave his only son as a ransom price for our sins. So we know that he loves us and we know that he is good. Therefore, we should continue and endure in faith. And then finally, the last exhortation is looking to Jesus. Uh, present active uh, participle here. It's a unique word in the Greek, looking to. It is giving attention to one thing to the exclusion of all else. Right? So it's not just looking at Jesus. You're looking at Jesus, but you're losing sight of everything else. You're looking only at him. And that is the exhortation of the writer of Hebrews here. Another version says, fix your eyes on Christ. Look steadfastly at Jesus while you're looking away from other things. So as we live out our Christian lives, we are to look away from our circumstances, our present realities, what's going on all around us. We are to look away from ourselves our inadequacies, our deficiencies, our weaknesses, how unfaithful, how undisciplined, how lazy, how carnal we are. We are to look away from leaders and other believers. We're not to look at them and compare ourselves to them. No, we are to look away from all else and look at Jesus Look at him alone and consider these four descriptions of Christ. He is the founder of our faith. He is the author of our faith. He is the one who gave us faith to believe. Right? Faith is not a work, Ephesians 2. It is a gift. He has given it to us. We have received it passively. And who has given us this gift? It is Jesus. And he is not only the author of our faith, he is the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who will carry it to completion. He will do it. He is the mighty warrior, the risen king. We trust him, not just for the beginning of our salvation, but completely all of it, and he will perfect it one day. And not only that, he is the one who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He went to the cross on our behalf because he wanted to glorify the Father. It was joy to him, despising his shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He went to the cross and he went to God's glory. And where is he today? He is seated at the right hand. He is sitting because the work is done. As we look at Jesus, we see our lives completely from a different vantage point. Jesus is seated because the telestai, the work of our salvation is, is, has been accomplished. And as we studied last week, the declaration has been made righteous. We are justified. We will hear those words in the future, in the day of judgment. But we know and we hear it already through the gospel that we are righteous, accepted by God through Christ. Therefore, our hearts are full of joy and we can trust in God and obey and suffer and endure and have that joy because 
the hope of our lives is not in ourselves, but is in Christ who has accomplished it all. Uh, Three closing thoughts. After 12 years, as we uh, look forward, these are um, the heart of your elders, your pastors for, for our church. First of all, the importance of faith. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Right? Impossible. So faith is the foundation. We are saved through faith. We are sanctified through faith. And on that day, our faith shall be sight as we shall see him as he is. So until that day, we are to live by faith because that is the only thing that pleases God. Right? Now I want you to think about it. Both Abel and Cain offered sacrifices to God. And I, my opinion is Cain's sacrifice was better, was more excellent. Right? It was more organized. It was more beautiful. It was even better in every way in human terms. Because King is the older brother, more responsible, able, probably the younger brother, right? less disciplined, right? less faithful, less like, excellent. And yet, God accepted Abel's sacrifice because Hebrews 11 says he sacrificed by faith. Well, that means Cain didn't sacrifice by faith. So what happens when you don't do external righteous deeds by faith? What happened with Cain? He was so angry, he murdered his brother. Right. It's, not, it's not just that living as a Christian without faith is not a good thing. No, it's a dangerous thing. Right? It's not like, oh, have faith, because if you don't have faith, you know, it's going to be like less a joyous Christian life for you or it's going to be less of a blessing for you or it's not you're missing out on what, it's got, what God has for you the ideal for you no living the Christian life without faith is not just you're missing out it's dangerous it, it separates you from God right? it separates you from God relationally practically day to day and it produces all these thorns and thistles it produces anger judgmental spirit, pride, despair, anxiety, depression, insecurity. It multiplies all these sinful things where it produces nothing that is good. So first thing would be Hebrews 11.6. Trust in the gospel. Trust in God's love for you through his son. Secondly, understand that they did not receive the promises, the rewards on earth. Hebrews 11.13, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They saw them and greeted them from afar. Knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. In fact, their lives were filled with suffering, and that is us as well. These modern day teachers are wrong. The, Christian, the gospel is not for us to have a better life on earth. It's not for us to have a better marriage and better children and a better church. It is for us to suffer, to be aliens and strangers on the earth. Right? Our life is to be full of persecution, being ostracized, 
right, suffering in this world because of the gospel. The benefit is spiritual benefit. What God gives to us are not material blessings, right, not more things of this world. What God gives to us is his love, his Holy Spirit, its unspeakable joy, the peace that path this all understanding. He gives us Christian fellowship. He gives the privilege of, of relating to him by grace and worshiping him with the church. God gives us to us spiritually. The physical things are to come in his kingdom. And then finally, I'd encourage you to look to Jesus. Right? Fix our eyes on Christ. So, you know, we all need leaders. We all need spiritual heroes. You know, past November, I'm 41 years old, being in the ministry many, many, many years, not many, many years, many years, few years, uh, and we're at Sovereign Grace Conference, and I see CJ Mahaney, a pastor there, walking up and down. I go, man, like, here I am, 41 years old, and I still need a hero. He's one of my spiritual heroes. So I'm looking at the clothes he wears, you know? I'm looking at like how he talks to people, what kind of jokes he tells, right? So I'm looking at him. Yes, we all need spiritual heroes, but Hebrews tells us we, that's true. That's why Hebrews 11 is there. But Hebrews 12, it doesn't say go back and look at these heroes. Hebrews 12 says look to Jesus, right? Beyond your caregiver leaders, beyond your pastors and elders, Definitely beyond me, we need to look to Jesus and know that he is greater, he is superior. He is the object of our faith. He is the source of our hope. And in a grander scale, Jesus is greater than our church. Jesus is greater than our church. We love our church. I pray that we would love Jesus more. You know, early in our church, one of our leaders said this. He was... He was kind of disturbed that early in our church, people talked more about our church than about Jesus. And he said, James, I think our people, they love our church more than Jesus. I didn't really understand that. I understand that now. And so they they saw our church and the way it was back then, and they loved that church. But as it changed, it was difficult for them. Likewise, today, we're going to change. Our church is going to change. Your leaders are going to change. I'm going to change. Right, if, if, if we love this Cornerstone Bible Church, year 12, the snapshot, right, then it's going to um, make us uncomfortable when it changes, when Cornerstone is no longer how it used to be. But our faith, our love must not be in the church. It must be in Christ and his message, which is unchanging. Right, Hebrews 13, 13, 8, uh, 13, 7, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let us look to Christ together today and, and ask God to give us faith to believe in him and love him more than everything in this world, even the good things, even the best things, so that we would, to the end, um, live a life worthy of him. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we, uh, all the believers here gather together and we are um, marveled at 
the testimonies of these eminent, godly, pious men and women of the Old Testament. But what moves us in a far greater way is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To consider that he went to the cross, the joy set before him, and he ignored the shame of the cross because points of the cross would glorify you, would demonstrate his love for us, and would save us, and our salvation would result in greater glory to, your, to his Father. Lord, that uh, moves our hearts, that humble, humbles us to the core. So we just ask, oh God, that you grant us faith in you. Grant us this muscle seed of faith that moves mountains. Lord, help us uh, to uh, look away from our circumstances, from our problems, our, our worries, from our cares. Look away from ourselves and to others and to look to Christ alone and that he would be the object of our faith, the object of our hope, and that he would be the one that we look to uh, to compel us, to propel us, to, to motivate us to obey and to live for you. God, we just thank you for um, having this truth uh, sustain us for these past 12 years and we continue to look at that same truth as a source of our power for tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray.